Success comes from knowing that you did your best to become the best that you are capable of becoming. That is a quote by John Wooden. Welcome to Trina Talk. This is the podcast where guests share their stories of pursuing their passions, living a fulfilled life, and empowering others. Each week, I talk with inspiring leaders, business owners, and people with amazing stories from around the world in unscripted conversations as they share their successes and failures. This podcast is all about empowering you to keep striving in your personal and professional life. I am your host, Trina L. Martin. Welcome to episode 143. The topic of this week's episode is There Are No Overachievers. My guest this week is Brian Byro. Brian is America's breakthrough coach. He has delivered over 1,800 presentations around the world over the last 30 years. The author of 15 books, including his bestseller, Beyond Success, and his brand new book, The ROI of Kindness, Brian is rated number one from over 40 speakers at four consecutive Inc. Magazine's international conferences. With degrees from Stanford University and UCLA, Brian has appeared on Good Morning America and CNN. Brian was recently honored as one of the top 10 interactive keynote speakers in North America and one of the top 60 motivational speakers in the world. Hi, Brian. Welcome to Trina Talk. Well, thank you so much, Trina. It's a joy to see you. You know, it's uh, a joy to see you, especially after, you know, me being the tech person having technical difficulties. So it's always well, something. Well, it was so nice of you to make me feel like I was technically astute enough to not be the one for once, you know. <laughs> so that was that was very kind. I understand now. You're just trying to make me feel good. No, it's kind of shameful on my part, but thank you for being so patient. Um, usually how we start off here on Trina Talk is I ask all my guests who you are and how you became the Brian that you are today. Well, that's very cool. I, I, I always like to keep my perspective, Trina. And so if, on all my emails, you may have seen, it says Brian Byro, husband, father, grandfather, speaker, author. So that, that's, that's at the, the top of the list. But uh, I've been a professional speaker and author for the last 30 years, had three really cool careers. I first was a, a U.S. swimming coach working with young athletes to rise to their potential. Uh, then I'm probably the only person you ever met who went to graduate school to get a life instead of a job because uh, I, I was overwhelmed with my my swim team. It was great fun, but I had no life and went in the corporate world, ended up having a good run in the corporate world, became a vice president of a large transportation company, then an international training company. And then for the last 30, now almost 31 years, I've been uh, traveling around the world. I've had the joy of speaking to close to a million people and uh, just love every second of it. And all connected by one thing. I love people. I believe that people have more in it. There's more in everyone than we think. There are no overachievers. So that's kind of my, my passion is help people discover their choices, to control their controllables. I, and to live each day with a little more, a little more zest, a little more energy, a little more presence, a little more joy. I love that. And, you know, um, because we have so much going on in the world and I love positivity. That's like one of the reasons why I started this podcast, because 
I like talking to people as well. And I like the positivity uh, aspect of it. But you call yourself the breakthrough coach. Now, before you go into telling us how that came about, about um, you were a swim coach, then you went back to <laughs> to the university to get away from real life. But <laughs> what what brought all of that on? What brought you to being um, the breakthrough coach? What made you leave, you know, corporate America, swimming and all of that to do what you're doing today? Well, that's a really, really neat question. And, and I believe that we're here to break through. Um, there's really one breakthrough, Tina. I mean, I, I we'll get into why I'm actually called America's Breakthrough Coach. And it's kind of a fun, it's a fun story, actually. But ultimately, we have one breakthrough. And in the last year and a half, as we've all gone through more uncertainty and uh, than we've ever faced really before, it's become even more clear. We have a choice between fear and love and faith. Uh, and every time we choose the fear side, we know it. It weighs us down. It, it, it darkens our spirit. It makes we feel that we all the reasons we can't, that we're not good enough. And every time we choose the love and faith side, we are five years old, like my grandson, who can just do anything where anything's possible. And so ultimately, the breakthrough that, I, that I'm really reaching, reaching towards trying to help people discover that's already there is to break through from that fear base to that love and faith base. Because when you do that, you move life towards what you want instead of fearing what you don't want. Uh, and that is the ultimate breakthrough. Wow. How did you get to that point where you knew this or started to understand this in your life? Because this is not something that people are just perceptive of knowing, you know, is you got to go through some things. And sometimes people go through life and they never realize that. How did you get to that point? Well, I think that the one of the earliest places where it really became to come, began to come into focus for me was when I was a, a swimming coach. Um, because ultimately, you know, I'm sure your show has many people who are life coaches, executive coaches. Uh, if you're a parent, you're a, you're, you're a coach. But ultimately, we coach, we don't coach sports, we don't coach business, we coach people. Right? And what I discovered was that very often we put limits on the people that we serve, that we coach, that we we don't recognize that our thoughts and our beliefs and our expectations are actually magnetic. And as soon as we hold people back in our own thoughts, beliefs, and expectations, we're actually tugging them in the direction of that pullback. And so um, I had many ex experiences as a coach where I discovered that there was so much more. There's so much more in people than I ever dreamed of. I, one of my favorite stories is about one young one girl I coached for eight years and I coached her backwards, Trina. I used to say, cause she was, she was a great, great young person. I loved her great spirit, but she always fell apart at the ends of her races. And I, I always said to her, one of these days, Allison, you're not going to die. Now that is the dumbest thing that a coach could ever say, because as soon as I say, don't think of the number three, what happened? <laughs> three jumps in your head. So um, one day, one day, almost by chance, instead of saying one of these days, you're not going to die where I was trying to be inspiring. I said, Allison, finish like you just did your warm up sprint. Mm. And her eyes got big and she so obliterated her lifetime best. She so went beyond all these limits I had set for her that I realized everyone I meet has Allison's side of her, an Allison factor. And so that to me is really where it began as I start to see. And then I saw it in every aspect of, from my own kids right, to, to business, to seeing what was possible when we moved from ego to we go. Um, it, was, it was just a really, really powerful, eye-opening truth that 
Um, you know, my, my mentor was the greatest coach of all time. Uh, his name was John Wooden. He coached UCLA basketball. Um, he's a legend. Um, and he used to say there are no overachievers. And what he was saying was, there's more in you. All right. And life and coaching and parenting and business is ultimately about helping to pull that out, to help use that Pygmalion spirit, which is where our thoughts, beliefs, and expectations to move people in the direction of their potential instead of fear of, of, of not being able to reach it. Wow. You know, as you're speaking, it's funny because, you know, this is the year uh, later, but for the Olympics, Summer Olympics. And I'm a big Olympic person. You know, I love the swimming and gymnastics. So I was up late last night watching it. And it's amazing you say that because I think I heard one of the commentators. I can't remember whether it was the gymnastics side or the swimming, but, you know, someone had done their race and well, and they were like, oh, you know, they're doing it just like they do, you know, in, in warm up and practicing and everything. And I was thinking, hmm, OK, yeah, I guess if you think about it that way, instead of thinking, oh, my God, this is the Olympics trials and um, this is the big stage. If you go out with the mentality of I'm going to rock this just like I do in training, that gives you a whole different perspective. It truly does. And, and that's what training is about. Training is ultimately about training the spirit. I think when you get down to it, there's not a huge amount of difference unless it's Simone Biles. Now, Simone Biles is like a, a superhuman yes. in my opinion, <laughs> but, but the, on the Olympic level, you know, there's a great swimmer of American swimmer now named Katie Ledecky. She won many gold medals uh, in previous Olympics, but it, she trains so incredibly hard. Um, that when she gets into the races, she has already done that race a trillion times. And so the nerves aren't so great. However, a little bit of nerves are great because they get you to that place where you absolutely want to be the best that you can be. And that's not just in sport. That's in anything that we do that when, when on those rare, rare moments, when we really reach our potential, it's, it's astonishing. I, I'll tell you a really quick story. It's about uh, it that really points out how that feeling is. Um, when I left coaching, interestingly enough, I started running and I did a lot of, I did some marathons. One night I was running in Southern California. I was going to UCLA graduate school. I'm running down San Vicente Boulevard. It goes right down to the, the beach. And for whatever reason, I started to run as hard as I possibly could um, to where I could not go even one tiny tick harder. Every, every ounce of my muscles, just given everything, I could only hold it for about 200 meters. And when I finished, I burst into tears. Nobody was around. I wasn't doing the racing to anybody. I was just reaching in and it hit me that how seldom we actually go to our limit, how seldom we actually go to the best we can do in anything in any moment. And what an incredible feeling it is to be that way. And that's kind of why you probably love the Olympics too, is to see people work for years and years and years for that moment and try to reach in and put it all together. But we have the capacity to do that every day. We have the capacity to do that with our kids, to be the best mom, the best dad we've ever been, to be more understanding, to be kinder. We have that opportunity to learn new things every day. And one thing that I think that really shines in people who move towards their potential is humility, that they're humble. Because only those who are humble are lifelong learners. Only those who are humble would rather learn and be and from something they'd made a mistake on, then have to look good and be right. And so I found that uh, the higher the higher level of people that I've worked with in in any endeavor, whether in business or in sport, 
the greater they, they the one, the great ones are always humble because they always know they could get better. Even Simone Biles knows she can get better next time. Oh, wow. That is, I mean, I love what you're saying. And it's funny because you were saying that it can apply to anything, your, your life. And, and you're probably touch on this when I asked you how the breakthrough coach came about, but we just people in general, I think most people think I am playing full out. I am doing all I can do. Now, are you saying that you're not, or are we just in a place where we're like, you know, doing what's comfortable. We're doing the, the routine, you know, the rinse, you know, wash, rinse and repeat, you know, what is it that we do as people? Well, I think that what we do is, I think it's easy to say I'm playing full out, but then ask yourself, is that really full out? Is there a little bit more that I have in it? Could I learn something new today? Could I get better? Um, and I think that most people would, if they really got honest with themselves and say, well, I'm, there's nothing wrong with feeling good about what you're doing. In fact, that's great. But always have that sense of, hey, today I did more than I did yesterday. Maybe I can do more tomorrow. Um, and focus on, I think what many people do and the thing that holds them back from really reaching potential is compare, compare to others. Um, success is peace of mind. And that only comes from knowing you've given the best of what you're capable. So really it's about what you put in and focusing on, on the internal knowledge of, is this really all I've got? And, and I, I think that most people, if they really, really are honest with themselves would say, I could maybe do a little better. I could maybe learn something new. I mean, I mean, it may take a while. I maybe feel, I feel really good for where I am right now, but that's not necessarily my limit. Maybe it's my limit for this moment, but I have a new moment coming. You know, we have this wonderful thing called today. That's, you know, the greatest gift we're ever given. And today we have a chance to do, to go to that next level. Mm, love it. So tell us how the breakthrough coach came about. Cause you said there's a story to it. So tell us the story. Well, yeah, I, I really believe that when we hear, we forget, when we see, we remember, when we do, we understand. So as I said, I've been a professional speaker for 30 years and I'm called America's breakthrough coach because of the three quarters of a million to a million people that I've had in my events over those 30 years, um, I have them break boards karate style at the end of the event. Um, and it is an incredible, it is, Trina, it is the greatest combination individual and team experience you could have in an event. Uh, the individual part is we use it as a metaphor. So they're real wooden boards, one inch thick. People have never been trained to do this. That's the, the fun of it. And they have to apply all the things that we've talked about in the, in the presentation to actually break through. But I have them right on the board, something they want to break through. Procrastination, fear of failure. Um, maybe it's something to do with their nutrition or their, or their health. Maybe it's something to do in a particular relationship. So the individual part of that breakthrough is related to the meaning, something they write on the board. So on the front of the board, they identify what the obstacle I'm ready to break through in my life is. On the back of the board, to complete that metaphor, I have them write down what's waiting for me when I have broken through. What am I going to do, be, feel, create, have in my life? Because never again is this going to hold me back. So I've had people just completely transform. They dealt with cancer. I've had people write the book their life was, they always wanted to write, but never got started. I've had people lose 150 pounds. I've had people just transform and forgive somebody they never thought they would forgive. And suddenly they realized not forgiving them was kind of like drinking a glass of poison, expecting them to die. Um, so 
the individual part of the breakthrough first is about that meaning. The, there's another aspect to the individual breakthrough though. And that is if I had an event with 500 people, we would start with 50 circles of 10 people each in circles um, breaking the boards, one person holding for 10 people. So if Trina, you were in a circle, all those other people, those 10 people around you are going, Trina, 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 music blasting, energy flying. Some people have never been cheered for in their life. And that moment of at unconditional support for some people, that's the greatest breakthrough of all because they've never really experienced it before. The team part of the experience, which is what I love, is equally as powerful because there's something about the experience that even shy people let go and just cheer like you've never heard them cheer. And then one last aspect to it that I think makes it truly extraordinary, and that is, and the best way I can describe this, one of the best days of my life, if not the best day, was my was my daughter's wedding day. and. It was for a reason I never could have fully understood until I experienced it. And that was for a good six hours that night. I didn't think of myself once. All, all I could do was think of her. They told me I was laughing and crying at the same time. I don't remember anything. <laughs> I just remember her. And when those nine and 10 people are around Trina going, Trina, 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 they get to feel while they're cheering for you the way I felt for my daughter that night. For a moment, they have completely moved from ego to ego. All they're caring about is somebody else having a breakthrough. And so that's where the breakthrough uh, called America's Breakthrough Coach, Coach comes from. And the beautiful thing about it is by the time we finish that event, the stars of that event are not the speaker. It's the participants because they have now done something. Because here's the beautiful thing, you don't know you can do it till you do it. All right. And and sometimes people think, well, what about the big, strong guy? I had a guy in my seminar. I'll never forget him. This was 29 years ago. His name was Robert McGee. He was a bodybuilder. His biceps were bigger than my body. He was like 6'4", 240 pounds of pure muscle. Well, when I held the board for him to break through, he was terrified. And everybody was thinking, well, what's he? maybe he's afraid he's going to break Brian. All right. Well, the key to breakthroughs is to focus on what you want, not what you don't want. In other words, it's to focus beyond the board. If you focus on the board, you get the board. Well, he hit that board so hard that as I held it for him, parts of me jiggled. I didn't know I still had. <laughs> and it didn't break um, because he was focused on the board, on the obstacle. So I simply said to him, Robert, just, just reach through the board and hold your eyes on my eyes, not the board. And he just literally straightened his arm out, went through like it was a, like a piece of paper. But at the end of that event, this bodybuilder said to the team, I was terrified of breaking the board. And everybody had the same window of opportunity. Why? What were you scared about? And he said, I wasn't afraid of hurting myself. He said, I was afraid of being the bodybuilder who didn't break this board. Mm. I was afraid of being embarrassed. And that moment, everybody else in that room had a wake-up call because we always think everybody else has got it figured out, but we all have our breakthroughs. And so that's what I love about it. It's very individual and team and the combination. And I, Trina, I've done it more than 1,800 events over, over the last 30 years, and I can't wait to do it again. I wish I could do it for you right now over the computer, but we'd break our computers and people would be upset. Yeah, we'll, yeah we won't have to do that. Wow. So what made you incorporate that into your speaking workshops, what have you, what, what made you do that? 
Well, I think part of it was that, um, as I said, I love to get people off the sidelines and into the game. And um, my experience of presentations was kind of like the same experience of going to the movies. You go to the movie, you sit, you're, an, you're a spectator, all right? you're an observer. If it's a great movie, you get into it. That's great. If it's a great speaker, you'll get into it. But you're not actually living it. You're not actually applying what you've learned. So I think part of it was my background of being an athletic coach, which you're not going to you're not going to be a champion unless you jump in the pool. You got to swim. And so um, I started doing when I first began uh, experimenting with teaching seminars and speaking. I, I took some ropes courses, which really are very participative. And I, I really enjoyed those. I love stories. And so it, when I found this board breaking, I, it was done in a quite different way. Um, it didn't bring in the team element. Um, and it really didn't really emphasize the metaphor of breakthrough. But the activity still had that power of, I didn't know I could do it. In fact, I was scared of doing it. And so I kind of put my spin on it by bringing in those other elements, but it was really about getting people off the sidelines and into the game. Um, really engaging fully is the best way to learn because it stays with you forever. So, um, and it's fun. <laughs> it's incredibly fun. It is because, you know, I would love to try to break a board, but <laughs> yeah. Well, we're going to do it. I got to get you to one of my events because I'd love to hold the board. Oh yeah, definitely. Because I, I always look at those things and I'm like, is that real? Are they really doing that? But Oh, it really is. Can I tell you one more great yeah. story? This I, You're just igniting my stories. I've been doing this, I said, for 30 years. For the first 15 years, every so often, I might have somebody who I held the board for who did not break through. And maybe, I mean, I've had some people break boards who you would be stunned, um, just be on a physical basis because they were either, you know, very, 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 very um small or fragile or whatever. And you think, wow, I don't know that they could do that. Well, one, one event that I did about 15 years ago, there was a young man in the event. Uh, it was a small group. It was only about 40 people. And he had, he was about 25 years old, but he had been in an auto accident um, and had a severed spine. He was paralyzed um, from his waist down. He was in a wheelchair, his right hand uh, and his right hand was curled up like this. Um, and, but I saw in his eyes that he wanted to break through. <laughs> and so I asked him and he, he did. And I got down on my knees and held the board for him. And all of a sudden I had an epiphany. And the epiphany was maybe those people who haven't broken the boards for 15 years wasn't because of them. It was because of me. It was because I didn't believe in them enough. I didn't hold the possibility that they could do more than I thought they could. And for whatever reason, it was maybe this young man's spirit, his eyes is whatever. Suddenly that, that just shook loose inside of me that I was going to believe in him no matter what, completely, no doubt, not the slightest ch chance of uncertainty. And with 40 people around him, he was the last guy that day. Everybody else had broken through. This young man who had not straightened his arm since the accident, his hand opened up, his fingers came out. He went through the board in front of his wheelchair. His father was standing behind him, literally burst into tears and fell on the ground so stunned. He had this incredible little smile on his face. And since that moment, Trina, not one person that I've held for has not broken through. Um, some takes a few different tries, but it made me recognize that um, 
then maybe that was the limits were, were from me as the person who they look to, to know something about it. Wow. That's you, you actually give me chills. It's it's um, wow. It's just amazing. Cause it makes you <laughs> think, and, and I'm going to relate this to children. Okay. So children look to their parents for acceptance and all that. And I'm wondering, like you said, if, if you're not fully thinking that, okay, they're going to be great or they're going to do something and they see disappointment in your eyes, is that one of the reasons why a lot of children go on to take the wrong path or not do what you think that they should do? You know, there's a, a principle that uh, I went to Stanford and studied psychology when I was a young man. And there's a principle that we studied there that's called the Pygmalion effect. And the Pygmalion effect says that our thoughts, beliefs, and expectations are magnetic. That's where that came from. And um, a researcher from Harvard by the name of Robert Rosenthal actually decided to find out, is this true or is it just a convenient, you know, def- convenient explanation? So what he did, and you'll love this, he went into 25 different elementary schools and he went into the first grade classrooms, only first grade classrooms, went to the teachers and told the teachers that he had developed a test for first graders that would identify for the teachers which of the children were what he called spurters. Now, a spurter was a child with lots of potential, but who had not really used it yet. So kind of an underachiever. So he administered the test, 25 different schools, some inner city schools, some rural schools, real wide, but only first graders, gathered up the tests. One week later, he came back and he told the teachers the results of the test. He said, Trina was a spurter. Marty was a spurter. Carrie was a spurter. Told the teachers which of the kids had scored a spurters. But guess what? It was a fake. He never graded anything. Hmm. What he had done was given a very basic first grade intelligence test, gathered the papers, never looked at them, burned them. And so completely at random, he had picked out and told the teachers which of the kids were spurters. Well, I'll bet you know what happened. Guess what happened? Yeah, the teacher. They spurted. Over 97% of the children that were randomly selected as spurters spurted. They rose to the top of their class and they stayed there. And the question then becomes, why? Who changed? Well, it was the teachers because the teacher no longer looked at Trina as Trina. When they looked at Trina, they looked with new eyes. They saw they saw this spurter, this potential. So it proved the power of the, of the Pygmalion effect. And however, he got sued for the study. Really? And, and guess who sued him? What, the teachers? <laughs> no, parents. the parents of the other kids. Oh, what? Because the parents, the teachers taught those kids as if they weren't spurters. So the whole point is mm. when you raise that question, that's a very great ins- insight on your part is that, yes, when we when we say things to our, our children, like they're singing at the tops of their lungs and to them, they sound really good. And we say something like, what's that horrible racket? Then in that moment, depending upon how powerful our Pygmalion impact is in that moment, we may take away their voice and they'll never sing again. Yeah. Um, so we need to be conscious of it. We need to be conscious that um, our and, uh, and our communication, 55% of communication is not the words we say or even the how we say it. It's our body language. And so we, if, if we really want to build people, whether it's our children, whether it's our team, whether it's ourselves, because we're Pygmalions, not only to others, but to ourselves, we need to be aware that um, we are constantly communicating how we actually believe and expect of them. Wow. 
Now that is, that's amazing. You know, and it's funny, not only with children, but if you're um, a business owner or a leader, you doing that with the people who you work for, or like you said, like you're coaching or whatever, I think, yeah, that's, that's, that works the same way. So that is, this is something that is a skill, a soft skill, I would call it. Um, and it, but it, it's a soft and powerful yes. skill. You can be soft and powerful. Another example, when uh, the last year that I coached in swimming, my swim team had become one of the larger teams in America. I had 15 assistant coaches, 300 kids. So a year later, I'm graduate school at UCLA. And we had a class where we had to write papers each week about our work experience or previous work experience. And I asked myself a question. I said, if I was such a good coach, what happened to my assistant coaches a year after I left coaching? And 14 out of 15 were floundering. Oh. And I and only one was, was actually excelling. And I had, to, I had to really get clear about what was the difference. Well, 14 out of 15, um, I was not a positive Pygmalion because I always told them what to do and never asked them what they would do. So if they came to me and said, Brian, I got this problem. How should I handle it? I'd say, well, you go do this, you do that, you do this, go do it. They couldn't even mess up, Trina. I'd cover for them. But the one guy who was flourishing was, first of all, he was the least likely guy to be a great swimming coach. He was a baseball player. He didn't know much about swimming technique at all. But I saw in him early on a gift, and it made me a different Pygmalion. His gift was he made swimming incredibly fun for little kids. He was like a big little kid himself. And they loved him, and they loved coming to practice because it was fun. And for my young ones, I want them to have fun and learn technique. That's it. So when they get big and strong, they're not burned out. Well, with Jay, his name was Jay. If Jay came to me and said, Brian, I got this problem. How should I handle it? I'd say something like this. I don't know, Jay. What do you think you should do? Mm. And then I'd be quiet and let him figure it out. And then I'd say, sounds good to me and get out of his way. <laughs> well, he went on to have an incredible career in you know, he was swim coaching was a sidelight for him. He was a, he was a special needs teacher. Um, and then he became an administrator. Then he became a thought leader in the field. And years later, years, just a few years ago, he retired. And I called him up to talk to him and congratulate him on this incredible career. And he says, Brian, you know, one of the biggest things that made a difference for me was how much you believed in me. And I said, I did believe in you, Jay, but how did you know? And he said, you always ask me what I thought. And then you let me do it, even if you thought there was something different. So that's being a Pygmalion is to ask more than tell, to not solve other people's problem, to let them carry the ball, even if they're, and you, know, you can look after them, you can make sure things are going to be okay, but you're sending a message that I value you, I believe in you, I trust you. And that is, a, and our job as leaders is to help people know they're important. Wow. That's our job. That, I love that. I love that. Ask more than you tell. Love it. Hey, we got two ears, one mouth. That's a good idea. That's a good clue right, right there, right? Exactly. Listen. Wow. So I'm going to talk about uh, your books. You've written, what, 15 books? Yes. Now, okay, coach, speaker, uh, swim coach, I get. How did you fall into being an author? And 15 books, what, are you, what have you written about? Well, I write about the same things that I speak okay. about, but... Um, I always had a dream of writing a book. I like to write. I feel like it's my best form of communication because um, there's a, there's joy and spontaneity like doing this right now. 
but sometimes when you write, you get to say things exactly the way you want it to come out. You, it may take a day to write a sentence, but at the end of that day, you have this feeling of, wow, that, that was pretty good. You know, I feel, I feel really good about what I wrote. So I always wanted to write a book. Um, my first book was called Beyond Success. And um, it was early on in my speaking career. The foreword was written by the man I spoke about before, the greatest coach of all time, John Wooden. Um, he was an even better person than he was a coach. And what I needed to write, the way I write is to have a, have a vision of the, of the big picture. And then, then I fill it in. So I need to know where I'm going. It's kind of like a GPS. You know, a GPS only works if you have the destination on it. And so that's the way I write. And, you know, I feel like because I love to write and I feel like it's, uh, I feel like stories, um, real life stories are the most powerful mechanism to teach. Um, in fact, a study by Forbes five years ago uh, asked this question. It says, when we receive a learning point or a concept or a moral or a message, via just information or data versus when we receive it via a story. What's the difference? And the study came out that stories are 22 times more powerful than just the information. 22 times. That is a big number. And so uh, I've always loved to tell stories because I feel like they connect us. Um, a good story after a while isn't my story anymore. It's your story. I may be talking about somebody that I coached and you're seeing your your kids, you're seeing somebody you work with. And so therefore you really own that idea, you own that breakthrough. And so uh, for me, writing was connecting these stories as a way to bring out these things I have so much passion about. And beyond success, John Wooden, in fact, I don't know if people can see it, but behind me is a, a pyramid. Mm -hmm. um, and John Wooden's foundation for the way he coached with something called the pyramid of success. Again, he coached people more than basketball, even though it was the greatest of all time. And so that structure, that pyramid gave me a perfect structure to write my first book. Wow. Now, what does the pyramid represent or stand for? Does it have like a certain meaning besides it? Just yes. the structure? Each one of the blocks of the pyramid represents a quality or a characteristic that he believed put in total will lead you towards being the best of which you're capable. So on the base, the, the foundational stones of the pyramid are industriousness and enthusiasm. They're the, they're the foundational stones on the outside. That industrious means, means about that work ethic. Enthusiasm, see, enthusiasm is about that joy in doing the work. It says, if you have enthusiasm, but no work ethic, then you just kind of float around. If you have industriousness, but no enthusiasm, work becomes, sure. becomes onerous and becomes a job instead of a joy. So each one of those, and it, the concept is they're interconnected. In other words, if you pull out the middle stone of a pyramid, the pyramid collapses. So they, they connect to each other. And the goal on the top was what he called competitive greatness. But it's important to understand John Wooden wasn't about beating people. Um, his idea of competition was internal. And so when he talked about competitive greatness, it was being the best of which you're capable of, being your best when your best is called for. Um, in fact, here's, here's a, something that will blow you away. Anybody who's that in sports, the greatest coach of all time, 27 years coaching UCLA, 10 national championships. He never said the words winning or losing to his players. Hmm. He never said the words. Now, did he want to win? Oh, yeah. 
But what he wanted was for each pe- each person that he coached, each pe- member of the team, to focus on controlling their controllables, their effort, their energy, their attitude, their team focus. And he winked at you, say, if you do that, you're going to be doing about as well as you're capable of. Wow. Oh, that's pretty profound. Because- oh, he was pretty darn profound. He was an amazing guy. Yeah, because you think. We lost him 10 years, 11 years ago at the age of 99 and a half. Wow. He almost lived to be 100. Wow. Because I'm, I'm thinking I've heard the name before. Oh, yeah. Um, John Wooden was uh, in earlier this, uh, I think probably about 2005, uh, there was a, <clears throat> a poll done saying, who are the greatest coaches of all time? Vince Lombardi, the great football coach, was number two. John Wooden, the great UCLA basketball coach, was number one. Wow. 99. Yeah, that's that's pretty profound because you think about what he said. Like you said, he never said the word winning or losing. But regardless of what happened, his players probably thought, okay, we did the best that we could. That's right. He focused on, he really focused on people. He focused on um, an understanding. He developed the pyramid because he saw too much comparison. Mm. He saw kids who should feel awesome. In, he was also an English teacher when he started out. Kids who should feel awesome about a paper, they get a B plus and they feel crushed yeah. when they should feel great because somebody's telling them that's not good enough for you, even though for them, it might've been an incredible, incredible performance. So that's when he really zeroed in on to that unique focus. And it's no coincidence that he that he ultimately had greater results than anybody else because he didn't focus on the results. He focused on what he put in to get to the results. And that is a magical formula. Wow. What's the pyramid called again? Does it, is there a name for the it? Pyramid of success. Okay. And the book that the book that I wrote is called Beyond Success. And it uses each block of the pyramid as the structure. It's not a book about John Wooden. It has a lot of John Wooden wisdom in it, but it used it gave me a great, great foundational structure to build my book upon. I, I like that. I like that concept. I'm going to have to, um, yeah, look that up and maybe get a printout so I can look at that in my office. Cause I, I, I like that concept of, you know, that's awesome. That's awesome. It. Yes. Love it. Well, you know what, Brian, I'm, I'm enjoying this conversation. I know the listeners are as well, but we're going to get into our questions. <laughs> I love it. And people are always afraid of my questions and I'm like, no, it's, you know, it's okay. It's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not afraid. I'm, I'm intrigued. Uh, I'm intrigued. You, you, you present it in such a way that you don't give a clue what they're going to be. So there's a little bit of that little, you know, that pre-event angst going, boy, I hope there's nothing, uh, nothing that's, that I'm going to mess up here. I love it. That's my, my whole intention, but believe it's not like stump the chump and it's not, it's not to embarrass you. So I'm not that shower is like the acquirer. So it's, um, it's good. All right. Ready? I'm ready. Okay. Who or what motivates you? Uh, my family motivates me most of all. Um, they give, I believe that's what children are brought into this world for, to make us better, to make us try to be better. And so uh, every time I speak, I first go, I bring a, a photo of my family with me. And, I, and right before I go on stage, I spend time with each of them. And something magical happens. It changes me. Because as soon as I focus on the power of my purpose, which is my family, um, if I don't give that audience my best, then in my heart, I'm not giving my family my best. So definitely my family is is number one for me. Oh, I love that. I'm going to have to do that before I get on stage speaking like that. Um, what demotivates you? <laughs> That's a tough one. Um, 
I, I think what dis, dismotivates me, demotivates me is lack of kindness. Um, that um, my most recent book is called The ROI of Kindness. And it's a book about, because uh, in my lifetime, Trina, and I've been around a long time, um, I've never seen such a lack of kindness in our world. And I feel like it's more needed than it's ever been. Um, we can disagree without being disagreeable. And so to me, um, what's demotivating is to see this incredible separation that we've seen, especially in the last five years, um, see this incredible um, name calling and, and, and not understanding that everyone has, 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 is worthy of respect, that everyone is worthy of admiration, that every person has their story. And so I would lo- I do, I, it, I wouldn't say it demotivates me, it disappoints me in some ways it turns back into motivation because I want to, I want to do something about it, but seeing, uh, seeing that separation on kindness is something I really want to see a change change in this world. So true. When was a time that something was said or done to hurt you, but it worked out for your good? <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, this is a little bit of a cop out on this question because it really wasn't said to hurt me. It was, it was straight and it was honest. And it was uh, when I was in the ninth grade, my high school counselor, Mr. Anderson, he was the coolest guy. He brought me into his office one day, set me in a chair, stood over me. And he was always fun, but he was really serious this day. And he said, first thing he said was Brian, a student like you comes along only once every 10 or 15 years. Now, when he said it, Trina, it's real likely he meant it bad more than he meant it good. <laughs> because all I cared about was being the class clown. I was a kid who would just sit back waiting to say something that would get a rise out of the class. I wasn't trying my best. I was afraid. But the next words he said were those words, the words that that you kind of brought into the question. And he said, Brian, there's something special in you. Stop wasting it. Mm-hmm. He said, every day is a gift but only you decide if you open it. He said, son, you haven't opened one. Yeah, stop wasting your days, pour your heart in, trust yourself to give your best. Stop being worried about what everybody else thinks about. And Trina, I will tell you this, had Mr. Anderson not said that to me those years ago, I wouldn't be on this podcast with you today because his words struck so deep. They hurt a little bit at the time. And then they opened my eyes to, he was telling me the truth. And, and without him, without those words, I wouldn't have turned myself around. He was one of the greatest Pygmalions in my life. Wow. What is your fear? Uh, I don't have a lot of fears. Um, I guess my fear is my fear is not being a good enough dad, being enough good, been good enough husband, being a good enough um, grandfather, but I don't really have a lot of fear about that because I know I, I really do. As soon as I go there, I realize that's about what's good enough. If I'm doing the best of which I'm capable, that's what I've got. Okay. Is there a time when you wish you had done something that you didn't? Yes. Um, another one of my books is called it's time for joy. Um, how to become the happiest person you know. And the first chapter is called Diana's Dream. And it was about um, when I was a young man, I was going to college. In the summers, I put myself through school by teaching and coaching swimming. And there was a mother of, of some of the kids that I taught 
who kind of took me under her wing. She let me teach swimming in her backyard pool. She was just a great soul. Um, and I never told her how grateful I am to her. And um, she passed away from, from cancer before I had a chance to say those words. And so um, it made me come up with the most important words I've ever written or ever said. And what it's, and it's a simple statement. It's so powerful and important to me because I didn't say it when I had the chance that I want to make sure everybody hears this. And that is that the love we fail to share is the only pain we live with. Um, and if we don't get this right, if we don't seize this moment, then the love we fail to share may become the only pain we leave with. And that's too late. And so, um, one of the things that I really feel strongly to teach is um, the only thing we have for sure is now. And so seize that moment, seize that now. If there's somebody in your life you haven't told how much they mean to you, do it now. If there's people in your life who you haven't forgiven, forgive them now. If there's people you've been blaming, stop blaming them now because blame doesn't work. It's about the past. Put, put blame in the context of time. Is blame about the past, the present, the future? It's always about the past. So whenever you're in blame, where are you? You're in the past. So get out of the past, get into the now, be fully present. And, and if you do that, when you recognize the love you fail to share is the only pain you live with, you have a chance to live pain-free. Wow. Wow, that was really good. That's probably the best answer I've ever gotten. Uh, <laughs> is there a time when you wish you had not done something? <laughs> yes. Uh, again, uh, with my children, um, when my oldest daughter, Kelsey, uh, who is an angel, she works with me now. She's a wonderful mom now. And um, she's a she's just a great soul. And she, when she was a little girl, she was just a precious little girl. And um, just I remember one night I was helping, them with her ma- helping her with her math and she couldn't and she wasn't getting it. And she wasn't getting it, not because she wasn't smart enough. She was getting it, not getting it because I was too impatient. Mm-hmm. And, and then finally she burst into tears. And I, I just so, so regretted that moment because that was the same thing as what we talked about before of saying to somebody who's singing and loving their singing and saying, what's that horrible racket? I did that to my own daughter because of my impatience. I apologized profusely. I told her how bright she was. I tried to learn from that and grow from it, but I will never get rid of the fact that I did it and I wish I hadn't. What is your definition of success? Oh boy, that's that's an easy one because I wrote Beyonce. It parallels John Wooden. Success to me is peace of mind. And it comes from knowing one thing and knowing knowing that you've given the best of which you're capable. So if you have to look at the scoreboard, if you have to look at your title or position, if you have to look at comparing yourself, that's not success. Um, but look on the inside and it's only it's that feeling of knowing in this moment, I was, I was, I gave all that I could and I feel good about it. And tomorrow I can't wait to try again. How do you recharge? Ah, well, for me, part of it is exercise. Um, I, I, I found this a lot on when, as a, as a writer, you would go into these periods where nothing was coming out. You'd spend, I'd spend a whole day and not one word. In fact, negative words, I'd erase four lines. And at first I sort of felt angst about it. And then I recognized it was percolator time. Stuff was brewing and, and moving that 
that were taking me to places I never really crystallized before. So one of the things that really helped me do that was running. Um, and now I, I walk because my knees kind of finally went out on me a little bit, but uh, that's one thing that does it. Nature does really recharges me. Um, being quiet in nature, being out in, uh, I, I'm a very early morning person. So sunrises r- recharge me. Um, being around my grandchildren totally recharges me. Um, so those are the, the things, but I think it's really important for everyone to find out what it is, whether it's prayer, whether it's meditation, whether it's nature, whether it's exercise, uh, and to make that a part of your day, to be present with you, because that's the time when you connect with spirit, connect with God. Ooh, what are you awesome at? <laughs> <laughs> I make a really good Caesar salad. I'll tell you that right now. Um, I, you know, what am I awesome at? Um, I'm awesome at loving my family. Yeah, I could tell you're, you're, you're a, a great family man. I can tell that. What legacy do you want to leave? You know, that that's a, a really neat question. Um, not all that long ago, my, my, uh, a, a relative of mine passed away and, and, um, and I realized that every person I talked to at, at her service um, had one word to describe her. If, in fact, if I had said to everyone in that service who knew her, how would you describe her? They would have said the word kind. Um, she, would, she lived a simple life. She lived, didn't live what, what some people would say a big life, but she lived a kind life. She was always looking out to try to make whoever she came in contact with have a little bit better day. So um, the legacy I would like to live is is really based upon three words, kindness, energy, and love. Uh, If if when I'm gone, people, they don't remember my books, they don't remember, but they remember this guy really was kind to people. He was kind to kind to unkind people, that he lived with energy, that he put he put energy into every single day and recognized that our energy is our choice. All right, and that he truly, truly sought to love others. Um, then I lived a great life. You know that um, I've, I've lived uh, lived as much as I uh, as I could possibly hope for. And that that legacy uh, it may not last that long, but it, while it was here, it was the right legacy. Mm. You've you've already done this, but I'm going to ask anyway. Give the listeners one motivational takeaway. <laughs> Okay, I'll give one a little more crystallized. If you want to live your life with great joy, there is a secret behind all secrets, and that is be fully present. Mm. Um, being fully present means when you're with somebody, 100% of your mind, body, and spirit is with the person you're with where they are now. That's one of the great things about you, Trina. When you do your show, you're fully present. You take in, you really listen. And, and you listen before you formulate what you're going to say next. You just take it in. But every time we're fully present, we say to that person beyond words, you are important. You matter. You count. And, and being fully present uh, helps people around you to know that they're significant. And when, whenever you seek to enrich another person's experience, you can't help but enrich your own. Right? And so that's that would be my, my greatest motivational tip. And being fully present is, is not a technique. It's a choice. So here's what I would encourage you to do. For the next 30 days, pick out one person in your life who you commit to be more fully present with. 
It doesn't mean you have to spend more time with them. You may have less time. But when you're with them, put the cell phone down. If you're at home, shut off the television. Do that thing we talked about before. Ask more than tell. And then do what you do so beautifully. Listen before you formulate what you're going to say. Uh, and you watch. After three days, Trina, that person's going to look at you different. They're going to go, you've been working out. You are looking good. <laughs> all right? And it'll it'll start that that positive spiral of being more fully present. That's what you do to really, really be a leader is to be fully present. Wow. Okay, Brian, how can the listeners connect with you? If you have a new book coming out, um, where are you speaking next? Give us the lowdown on what you got coming up. Well, great. Thank you. Uh, most all of my events are, are not public events. They're in they're for organizations. So that part you know, you'd have to be in the organization that, and, and now we're starting to see live events come back, but the best way to reach me and see all my books, I have a store on the, on the site is just go to my website. It's brianbyro.com. Uh, the newest book is called the ROI of kindness, um, the return on investment of kindness. And it proves that kindness is not only cool, but it works. It works in business. It is the antithesis of weak or soft. Um, it is absolutely something that can transform your business, your customer loyalty, your team uh, synergy. So www.brianbyro.com. Um, and I love to hear from people. I always will get back to people within 24 hours. It shows you how you can reach out to me um, to go out to come out to speak for your organization. Um, and as, as I said, my books are there as well. Great. Well, Brian, I thank you for the engaging conversation. I loved it. Um, thank you for taking time out of your busy day to be on Trina Talk. I really enjoyed it. And I know the listeners have as well. Well, you are truly elegant. You have an elegant way of communicating. You're an incredible listener. Uh, you're doing great things for great for, for people out there to rise to their potential. Um, and I thank you so much for the, for the woo, which is called the window of opportunity. Yeah. If you like Trina Talk podcast, please don't forget to go out to iTunes and rate it five stars and leave a review. Also, who else in your life do you know that needs some motivation and inspiration in their life? Don't forget to share Trina Talk with them. I hope you have a great week. And remember, if you change your mindset, you can change your life. Keep striving because success is a journey, not a destination.